This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I am one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, we're so glad you decided to join us for Confirmation Sunday. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I'm living in the movie Groundhog Day with winter never ending. It's winter again and again. Spring will come. I've been here for a month, but I don't know who, (laughs) it doesn't feel like it. Uh, But it's not only Confirmation Sunday, you also joined us for the kickoff to a new series. Passion does wane over time in all areas of our lives. You know, we don't invest in our friendships, and it wasn't anything that we really actively thought about. We just stopped making connection with friends a priority, and we drift away, and we looked back and wondered what happened. It can happen in our jobs. We are part of a job that we love so much, but then we end up burning out because we didn't put up the right boundaries. We burned really white hot for a while and then had to leave. You know, it happens in our faith too. We have these times where we're growing and we're flourishing and we're blooming, much like those Easter flowers you bought last, brought and bought last week. But without care and attention, our faith wilts and it even goes dormant without any attention to it. Every single one of us, every single one of us needs revival from time to time. Now, this happened to the ancient Israelites too. Israel would have a passion, they'd have a fire to serve God, and things would go great for a while. Then, time went by, uh, leadership changes, and passion wanes. They find themselves in hot water over and over again because they've lost their passion, that first love for God. All kinds of things go sideways. It happens to the early church too. Just a few decades, just a few decades after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven, people were losing the focus, the fire that they once had. Now, the book of Revelation, the last one in your Bible, is often seen as talking about the way future when Jesus returns and when he comes to set things right. And that is in there. And there's all kinds of other crazy stories and images and dreams that are really hard to figure out what's happening. But at the very base level, Revelation is a letter. It's a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, We call it Turkey. It's a letter to seven churches in Turkey to revive their faith, to bring back the passion for Jesus they once had. Every one of those little sections addressed to those seven churches typically has something the church is doing right and something the church needs to work on. This is the, the... This is the section from the church to Ephesus. This is Revelation 2. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That's a good thing. But, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the work that you did at first. From the Israelites to the earliest Christians to today, we all have times we need to revive the fire, the passion of our first love. Now, I lived in Kentucky during seminary, and many churches, especially in the fall, would have revival weeks. They would schedule a guest speaker. They'd do worship every night to revive the faith of their church and of the region. Now, I always assumed revival was something that God did, that we couldn't schedule it, like the Holy Spirit would move unexpectedly in this part of the world. So it amused me every time I drove by these churches that at Science for Revival, decreeing revival was coming because we don't do that. God does. God brings revival, not us. How prideful were these churches thinking they're going to bring God because of these revivals they were having? 
Now, the truth is, I was wrong and I was right. There are things we can do. There are conditions, there are ways we can work our own soil to make a path to prepare the way for God to bring revival, to do a new and powerful and amazing thing in our lives. There are practices we can add to our lives to revive our faith, to recover that passion for Jesus we once had or maybe we really never had. To explore the conditions necessary for revival, we're going back to John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement in England in the 1700s. He led an explosive growth of faith in his lifetime that still exists today. You're a part of it. You're sitting here this morning. You're part of that revival that began in his life some 300 years ago. The seeds for revival go back even further than that to his parents and the world he entered. England in the 16 and 1700s was a mess. King Henry VIII couldn't get an annulment from his marriage, so he leaves the Catholic Church, starts his own church, so he could get an annulment that the Catholic Church wouldn't give him. I mean, that's one way to solve a personal problem, right? Just start a church that will let you do what you wanted to do. So throughout his life, he goes back and forth between Catholic and Protestant faith, and the people of England are wondering, what on earth is going on? Not exactly stable leadership. There's also all kinds of religious violence happening between Catholics and Protestants and even among Protestants themselves in this era because they didn't exactly believe the same thing. Mind you, they all confess Jesus is Lord. Catholics, Protestants all say Jesus is Lord and yet they're still arguing and committing violence on each other. They confess Jesus as Lord just like we did last week at Easter. But in the Protestants, because one group sprinkled their baptisms and one dunked their baptisms, they were killing each other over it. They were killing each other over differences in practices of baptism. Now, unsurprisingly, many people in England were not interested in faith. They were disenchanted. They were disinterested in all of this nonsense. Now, you might feel exactly the same way today. You see all the things done in our world by Christians, by the church, as you feeling disenchanted and disinterested in God and the church. Just know this morning, you are not alone. You are not alone. There have been all kinds of people throughout history who have seen the stuff that Christians and churches do that have felt the same way you have. It is in this kind of world that John Wesley arrives. He was born June 17th. 1703 in Epworth, England, just a couple hours to the north of London, to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. He was the 15th of 19 children. Yes, that is not a typo. He was the 15th of 19 children. I cannot even imagine what that looks like. My grandmother on my father's side, there was 12 children in their family, and I just cannot conceptualize what that family life was like. Samuel, John's father, he served as 40 years in one church as the priest, the pastor, the leader of St. Andrew's Church in Epworth. He was not always appreciated, not always agreed with or liked by his congregation. We think at least twice his congregation started the parsonage, his home, on fire. Samuel did not fight with people. He modeled and he taught his whole family, John included, what it looked like to have a humble spirit. And a humble spirit is the first necessary condition for revival. The world we live in is not unlike 1700s England. There's mistrust, there's conflict, there's division, there's violence all around. 
Now the categories people divided themselves into, there were different things in England in the 1700s, but people still separated themselves from each other. It was not long ago, articles were being written here in the US and around the world about the world converging, coming together in many areas of life. Now, all you're gonna find are articles about divergence. We are pulling ourselves away from each other. And this happens in churches as well. Instead of listening and learning from people that we disagree with, we pull away. We pull out of relationship. Friends, diverging from one another, it's not a new problem. In one of John Wesley's most famous sermons, it's called Catholic Spirit. And in this case, Catholic means universal. Not Roman Catholic Church, but Catholic or universal spirit. In this sermon, he said, though we can't think alike, may we not all love alike. May we not be of one heart, that we are not of one opinion. With all doubt, we may. That's, those are powerful words, knowing what, how divided England was in this period and for the diverging world we live in today. Wesley wanted his hearers to have a humble and a teachable spirit. We can listen to those with whom we disagree with, and we can try to see something from another perspective. We can focus on what we share in common, and not just those things that make us different. John was teaching them and us to build bridges, not walls between each other. This cannot happen. This can't happen unless you cultivate a humble spirit in your life with that possibility on certain topics, you might be wrong. Now, Paul, the first century church planter, he encouraged the church in Colossae to do this very thing. He writes to them, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always, always be thankful. This week, look for opportunities to practice cultivating a humble spirit. Find common ground with somebody you might deeply disagree with. And just by growing a humble spirit in your life, you are preparing the soil, you are preparing the way for God's revival, God's passion to return. And the next condition for revival comes from John Wesley's mother, Susanna. She had a profound impact on his, his faith, the whole family. She's known as the mother of Methodism. She spent six hours a day homeschooling her children. And she makes sure she had one-to-one uh, one -one time with her children every week. She prayed with and for them diligently. Growing up, John would have seen the impact of this, and he would have, this would have led to his emphasis on small groups for Methodists. And he would have seen his mother teaching Bible studies with women, giving, us, giving him and showing him that women can indeed lead and leading to women preachers in the Methodist movement. That would have been unusual in his day and age. Now, unless you think a Bible study in a home is just a couple of people in the kitchen, Susanna's study at one point grew to 200 people in her parsonage, in the parsonage. Now this was too close to a church service, so Samuel, her husband, wrote a letter to her to stop. A letter to his wife in the same house. Now she responds also in writing of why she should continue, ending with, 
Send me your positive command in such full and expressed terms as may absolve me from any guilt or punishment for neglecting this opportunity for doing good. When you and I shall appear before the great and awful tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like her a lot. <laughs> after, after that, Samuel said not one other word about the Bible study. It continued. The second condition for revival is this, becoming passionate about the faith of our children. I'm not just talking about the children in your own family. Even if you don't have kids now or you never had kids, you have children you're responsible for because you're a part of legacy. At every single, at every single child baptism, every welcome, every single one, we promise to come alongside the family to help the child model what it looks like to follow Jesus. So the child might just choose to follow Jesus for themselves when they're older. We all have children. We all are responsible for them, even if they don't live under our roof. Now, Charles Wesley, he was John's brother. He was the musical force behind the Methodist movement. He was once asked, you know, Charles, what led to your college explosion in faith, your college revival in faith? Where did this new spiritual vitality come from? Without missing a beat, Charles responds, his mother's prayers. He said it was his mother's prayers that caused this revival of faith in his life. It was the sincere faith and prayers of his parents that shaped Charles to be the person that he would be, that would sculpt the music of the Methodist movement. Friends, we must model faith for our children. If we want our children to be passionate about Jesus, it's because, because revival is going to be theirs to carry one day. If we want them to follow in Jesus' footsteps in all areas of their lives, we must follow him first. With faith, friends, it is more often than not our children become us. What they see modeled for us in faith, that is what they're going to become. Our children take on the faith they see modeled to them. So do they see faith that is passionate and hospitable and risk-taking and adventurous? Or is it nothing more than an optional piece that can be discarded when the schedule just doesn't fit right? We must move toward our children. From the promises made at their baptism, we must love them in the nursery, guide them in legacy kids, teach them and play silly games in middle school, and listen to deep and sometimes unrelated conversations in high school, and keep remaining close for post high school and beyond. Jesus himself said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. If we are not helping, friends, we are hindering. So let's find places to help. Let's guide all the kids and students under our care. Let's start by praying. Let's start by praying for all of our kids and students. Then as it matches our gifts and talents, let's find a place to serve in kids and students. Our children also need to see us see, serving all over the place. They need to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and be a mechanic and an accountant and a teacher and a custodian and hairstylist and on and on. They need to see all of us. So try to find a place to serve in the church and or out in the community. Becoming passionate about our faith, sowing the seeds for revival means keeping the promise we made to the next generation at every baptism, at every welcome. You know, one other condition for revival, it comes from both of John's parents, both Samuel and Susanna. They faced many hard times, and yet they never lost faith. They never did. Now, in their family, they had 19 children. 
Of those 19 children, nine of them died as infants. Nine. I cannot imagine the loss of that family that those parents carried. And yet, they remained in the faith. They stayed close to Jesus. John Wesley learned the importance of perseverance. Not only that, Samuel wasn't a great money manager, and he was always in debt to someone. And Samuel was always making somebody upset during his sermons on Sunday. Preaching in church one Sunday, he made the person holding his debt mad. So that man threw Samuel into debtor's prison. I've never understood the concept of debtor's prison, how someone's supposed to pay off their debt while being in prison. Well, that's what it was. Samuel finds himself in prison to pay his debts. So what's his attitude going to be? Well, he's in prison for a couple of months. He said, well, I'm here, so I might as well share about Jesus and serve the people that are right in front of me. Man, that is an attitude of perseverance. Wherever I am, I'm going to serve and love the people like Jesus does. It was very much like Paul, the first century church planter who ends up in prison himself. Under house arrest, Paul writes, I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. At least twice their house burned. As I mentioned, both fires likely started from parishioners who didn't like the sermon Samuel had given the previous Sunday. Now, in one of those fires, after the family was out, they discovered one of the children were missing. Five-year-old John Wesley was still upstairs in his room. While they were praying, praying, they saw John out of an upper window. So a couple of neighbors climbed shoulder to shoulder. They got John out to safety and before the roof collapsed. After that fire, Samuel served that same church for 30 years. 30 years. If you burned my house to the ground, I wouldn't be back Monday, much less preaching the next Sunday. That is absolutely incredible. He served the same church for three more decades. I, that is an incredible amount of perseverance and something I can barely even fathom. Burn down the house twice, I'm still going to serve you for almost four decades. One author put it like this. When suffering, tragedy, and opposition come, don't turn away, turn to God, and don't give up. Turn to God and don't give up. The choice we have when pain comes our direction is to lean away or to lean into Jesus. Friends, lean into Jesus when tough times come. Don't give up because Jesus is in the business of healing, wholeness, and restoration. John learned this perseverance from his parents. It was key to the growth of the Methodist movement. He was a prolific journal writer. And this is just a segment out of one of his journals. You get a picture of how the adult Wesley dealt with all of the things he dealt with preaching as a pastor. Now, this is, this is just one glimpse of his life. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday afternoon, May 5th, preached at St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday evening, May 12th, preached at St. George's, kicked out again. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday afternoon, May 19th, preached out on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached out in a meadow, 
chased out of a meadow when bull turned loose during the service. <laughs> Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday afternoon, June 2nd, preached in pasture, 10,000 people came. When suffering, tragedy, and opposition come, don't turn away. Don't turn away, turn to God, and don't give up. That's what John learned from his parents. His parents learned it from Jesus. As we seek to revive our faith, as we seek to recover our first love, may we never give up, invest in the faith of our children, and develop a humble spirit. Those are the ways. Those are the ways we prepare our hearts, our minds, our hands for revival. It's how we return to the first love of Jesus in all areas of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess there are so many other things that crowd out your voice and our time to serve you. Help us to recover our first love in you. May you become the center of our lives as you once were or maybe never were. May we go into this new week seeing to develop a humility, perseverance, and investment in our children that leads to revival, not just in our own lives, but in the world. It is in your resurrected name that we pray together. Amen.